This episode of CBO Speaks is brought to you by Kaufman Hall. Learn about their strategic and financial consulting services and Axiom software for budgeting and planning by visiting kaufmanhall.com forward slash higher education. Welcome to CBO Speaks, the official podcast of the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO Susan Wheeler Johnston, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission for this podcast is to ask chief business officers to reflect on their careers, share personal examples of the ways they have navigated challenging situations, and offer some lessons that they've learned from their experience as a CBO. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of research and tools at nakubo.org. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to CBO Speaks. Thanks so much for joining us today. My name is Megan Strand, your host, and I am very excited to be joined today by Michael Hagar, who is Senior Vice President for Finance and Operations at the University of Northern Iowa. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, Megan. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, to get us started today, I always ask people how they entered into higher ed as a profession. So I'm hoping you can start there with us. I actually spent the first 20 some years of my career in student affairs. Mm. Uh, and so it makes me a little bit unique as a chief business officer that I did not start my career uh, in finance or operations. Uh, I spent um, a large portion of my career so far in student affairs. And then when this opportunity came open, I kind of crossed over. Um, and what I found is my experience in student affairs has served me very well uh, as a chief business officer. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because that is a unique background, and I've interviewed lots of CBOs on this program. I have not heard that background. So can you talk a little bit about how that factors into your role as a CBO? Well, I got into higher ed because I enjoy working with students. Um, and so I had a great experience as an undergraduate. It was very transformational for me. Um, and as I decided what I wanted to do with my career, I realized I could continue being a student or at least working <laughs> in student affairs. Um, and so I did that. I worked in auxiliary operations, uh, housing and dining uh, specifically. And I approached that kind of as if I was the owner of the business, the owner of the auxiliary. And so uh, I had a, a business background that I enjoyed as uh, some of my studies. Um, it's where most of my education is as well as in the business field. And so I, was, I enjoyed my time. I was pretty successful with it. Um, and then realizing that uh, I was a little bit of a fish out of water sometimes uh, in student affairs. Um, and when this opportunity presented itself, uh, it was a natural progression. Um, and then a lot of what I learned and experienced uh, as in student affairs, um, I've been able to bring over and kind of feed that into the operational side of, of a university and help that uh, develop and serve students very well then. And then how did you end up on the CBO track then from there? Um, I was an assistant vice president in student affairs. And so uh, I jumped from that straight into the CBO title at the same institution. And so they were aware of me, uh, my work already at this institution. Uh, I'm not sure it would have happened if I had moved to another institution, if I would have had to take an intermediary step. But because the institution knew me already um, and they knew my experiences, uh, it was a natural progression over to the CBO role. And then when you transitioned to the CBO role, what did anything take you by surprise? Was anything different than it, than it had been in your previous professional track? 
there wasn't really a lot that took me by surprise. And again, I think a lot of that was because I was at the same institution. I was probably a little more surprised the approach with focused on operations more so than focused on students. Um, and I think the intention was there that ultimately we knew that we serve students, but it was probably not at the forefront and wasn't talked about quite as much. Um, and so some of that service component um, that I brought over and that I had experienced and learned from others um, helped us in this division then. And then so how long have you actually been a CBO? I'm in my eighth year. I crossed the seven-year anniversary uh, at the beginning of the calendar year. And so tenure-wise, I'm in my eighth year, which I understand uh, is about average for CBOs. Well, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your current role at the University of Northern Iowa. Can you talk a little bit about what's most exciting about your job today? I think for me, what's exciting, uh, and it's one of the things that I've really grown to appreciate, is I'm um, blessed with a really good team. I've got some great colleagues and the other vice presidents, the provost, and I have a great relationship. The vice president for student affairs and I have a good relationship. The three of us together work very well um, along with our president. And so um, the, my colleagues, both on a peer-to-peer level, but also the people that I interact with, the, the direct reports that I have and the people within our division, we've got a very strong team and, and that continues to excite me. That's fantastic. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the upcoming talent that you see rising. You're talking about your great team. When you look at the future of CBOs and administration in general, what do you see in that next generation that's coming up behind you? You know, I've had one whole turnover. Most of my directors when I took over were retirement eligible, and uh, they have all since retired. So I've been able to replace all of them. Um, And so from day one, uh, I was working on what I call building bench strength, who would be the next people that would be available. Um, And I've been able to fill probably half the positions with internal people and half the positions with external people. Um, But I always want to try to work on building that bench strength so that when we do have openings or promotion opportunities, that Uh, Our current employees, our current staff, our current team members are well positioned uh, to move forward if that's what they want to do. But some of the things I'm seeing, I'm seeing a new level of uh, excitement about colleges and universities. And, you know, the public media has not been good to higher education. And so there's a little bit for those of us that have been around for a while, we're having to go back and reevaluate or at least reeducate the public on the value of higher education. But I'm not necessarily seeing that same kind of Uh, beat down mentality for some of the new people coming in. They're excited to lead teams. They understand the value of teamwork um, and they have new ideas and new opportunities that they want to try. And it's exciting to see them look at things just a little bit differently uh, and move forward with those ideas and more collaborative. They know when to bring in faculty or other people across campus so that they have that transparency that comes through. And, And what's most exciting is that collaboration that they're bringing to the table. And then when it comes to forming a team, and it sounds like you have a really strong one, what are some of your personal philosophies about what makes a good team and how to create a strong team? I've learned to appreciate diversity uh, immensely, and it's not just diversity in terms of ethnicity or some of the other uh, demographical information. It's diversity of thought, um, diversity of experience, uh, diversity of position. Um, I think sometimes our frontline people see things in a whole different way than what we do from a systemic approach um, up at 30,000 feet. And so I I try to make sure that we have people that represent uh, either different groups or different perspectives um, on committees. Search committees is where I really see the value of this. And, I, and sometimes people that aren't used to serving on groups or teams 
um, need to be uh, coached along, that there's a reason they're on the team and that I want them to speak up. I want them to participate. I value what they have to say. Um, and so I've really learned that that diversity serves us very well when we look at different teams and not just traditional diversity, but a broader perspective of diversity. Mike, I want to switch gears just a little bit and and ask um, about some of the lessons you've learned as a CBO over the past eight years. So as you look over that time span and, and feel free to extend to, you know, your time beyond being a CBO to student services, your student services role, but can you think of an example of something that you might have done a little bit differently in your role as a CBO or as it relates to being a CBO? Well, this is my favorite question when we interview people. Tell me about a professional mistake. <laughs> um, and, and, and they're not used to having that kind of a question. And so usually we get a pretty, uh, a pretty raw answer, um, which is indicative of their character. But um, I guess uh, one of the things I, I'm – one of the lessons I've learned, so to speak, is, is one of our uh, attorneys at the university has a little frame on his bookcase when you walk into his office. And it says, dance as if nobody's watching. But email is if you'll be reading it back on a witness stand someday during a deposition. <laughs> <laughs> and so I've learned that I'm much more cautious and I'm not as uh, casual in my emails uh, as what I used to be. Um, in Iowa, we have a very um, uh, a very open records law that uh, is people can ask for just about anything uh, from us. And so while that doesn't happen very often to our university, there are other universities in the state where it does happen. I am aware that what I say um, can be subject to open records, but more importantly, what I put into an email can be read and reread. And so if, if there's a tone to it or a perceived tone, uh, even if a tone isn't intended, um, people can reread it and reread it, and sometimes that's not healthy. So I'm, I'm much more cautious about what I put into email. And actually, if I can avoid sending an email, I find myself reaching for the phone more often and just knowing that that voice-to-voice -voice communication or even face-to-face -face communication uh, is a much healthier and much more productive way of communicating with somebody. Michael, what would you say is the biggest challenge that faces all CBOs today? What are you, what's keeping all of you collectively up at night? I think when we look at the value of higher education, the the research is so clear and Nakubo's done a very good job. Um, there's census information that talks about people will earn um more money when they have a bachelor's degree compared to a high school diploma. They're less likely to be unemployed. But there's additional information out there, too, that they're more productive members of society. Um, they're less likely to smoke. They're more likely to vote. Um, they're less likely to be overweight. And so there's a, they're more likely to volunteer in their community. So there's a whole host of things beyond financial that improves a person's life when they get a bachelor's degree. But that's been lost. And I, I, I think that... Um, what keeps me up a little bit, I think keeps many CBOs up, is that people don't understand the value of a degree, that it's not just education. It's not just getting a degree to get a job. It's getting a degree to improve yourself and to improve society, both individually and collectively. And so the fact that we have to constantly go back and explain why education is important, not just to get a job, but it makes you a better person. It makes us a better society. And as a result of that, then, for those public universities, there's this devaluing um, and defunding of public higher education that I think has an impact on both public and private then. And I worry for the future of higher education uh, a little bit, that we're not creating holistic thinkers or people that can respond to changes over their career span as much as we're just training people. And I think there's a big difference between training and educating somebody. 
And how would you say that concern or just that mindset plays out in your role as a CBO? Are there things you find yourself doing or saying or reminding people um, in your role as CBO to that effect? You know, as a chief business officer, I interact with people um, outside the university, outside the university, either our foundation or uh, legislators or corporate uh, executives. And so I take the opportunity when I have those interactions just to to work in some of these facts here and there, particularly with legislators, uh, to remind them and, and corporate business to remind them that uh, the value of an education versus training and I think it it's resonates well with people. Um, I, Nakubo actually has some uh, infographics that we've put together, PowerPoint that we use. And the, the president uses some of those on his uh, speaking tour, you know, with the Rotary Clubs and those sorts of things. So it's more a tool of just when we have those interactions with people, we help inform them and help shape, reshape that conversation. So you have ambassador next to your title and, and role in addition to all of your other CBO duties. I think that's true. That's true for any executive, I think, or anybody in a senior leadership position that uh, we can't just focus on our uh, defined or our formal job responsibilities. There's informal, and some of that is to be an ambassador for the institution and an ambassador for the profession. Well, the flip side of that question is, what would you say the biggest opportunity is that faces all CBOs today? What are things that are out there that you're taking advantage of or you'd like to take advantage of or you think the profession should take advantage of to move the university system forward? You know, what I have found uh, when I visit with colleagues across the country is that those of us that have um, strong, positive working relationships with our provost um, or with our deans on our campuses tend to be more successful and tend to have uh, better outcomes. And so um, working as, you know, as a strategic partner, that it's not just dollars and cents, um, but sometimes we can provide data that helps with information making. And we serve as change agents. That change agent role uh, of a chief business officer, I think, is critical. Um, and it's one of the things that I think think has changed over the decades for the chief business officer, uh, from being a chief financial officer to the business officer, that we help other parts of the university understand how we need to change and evolve and continue to serve our institution. Can you think of an example when you've had to serve as a change maker as your role in this, as a CBO? I can. It's a, it's a matter if I want to share some of those examples publicly. Um, but, but <laughs> let's look at shared services. You know, many colleges and universities have gone through this process. Some have done it better than others. Um, and so um, it can be a scary thing for a department to lose control of a process or not to have the person that they work with on a regular basis right at the desk in their departmental office. Um, and so um, we are behind the curve at our institution compared to where many others are with shared services. But we've been able to sit back and learn from many institutions that have done it well, have had it in place, and, and those that have not done it well or have had to restart those programs, what has worked for them. Um, and so that's probably a very good example of change agent across the institution that impacts or can impact most departments on campus. How do we make that work so that people have the same or better level of service while also gaining the efficiencies? Michael, what are you doing today that you never imagined you'd be doing maybe 10 or even 20 years ago? Um, I honestly never anticipated that I'd be sitting in on a strategy session with academic affairs. Um, I don't see that in my past in student affairs. I didn't see that coming into the role uh, as a chief business officer, that that is something that I'd be doing. Um, 
But here I am being invited into and, and fully participating with deans and the provost and the assistant associate provost um, as they look at positioning of the academic part of the enterprise. And so um, it goes back to those relationships are critical, um, understanding it's not just dollars and cents, um, but helping uh other senior leaders at the institution know what kind of data and demographics can help inform their decision making. Is that something that you're doing regularly now or was that a one-time time thing or just you're talking about this is how business is moving forward at the university? Um, right now, it's more of a, a process and it's more of a one-time uh, as we move into it. But we are looking at changing the culture of the institution because as a comprehensive institution um, and not a research one-level institution, uh, we recognize for us to be viable uh, in the next 30 to 50 years, we can't continue to do business as normal. We have to change how we do business. Um, and so now that we have a, a full contingent of president and vice presidents that understand that concept, we're working to change that at the institution. And so while this is a sort of a one-off right now, I think it's the beginning of a culture change for the institution that will be more readily able to adjust to change and will find the, or the entire university is willing to change uh, in a more often and in a healthier manner than what we've maybe had in the past. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about uh, professional mentors. Have you had somebody that served as a professional mentor to you? And if so, what do you feel that you learned from him or her? I did. I had a very good supervisor um, a number of years ago. In fact, he just passed away the end of the last calendar year. Oh, I'm sorry. I learned a lot from uh, from him. And one of the things is... You know, we'd get in these meetings where there'd be a controversial topic or something that we knew would have a little bit of a discussion, shall we say. Um, but invariably, the outcome of that meeting was exactly the outcome that we were hoping for. And it took me a couple of years to figure out how is it that he is constantly getting everybody to go the way he wants it to go. And he taught me the secret of the meetings before the meeting. And so he would have these conversations one-on-one, -on -one, make sure that he listened to people, understood their perspectives, and then he could share their his perspective with them. And so what I learned then was that meeting was not so much to talk about the issue and come to closure, which it was. He'd already done all the legwork in front, one-on-one, -on -one, so that if people had very specific things to say, there were agendas that he could address, he could address things before the meeting. And so the meeting was really just a closing meeting, per se. It wasn't really the full discussion. The full discussion had happened one-on-one uh, -on -one with people, and he had worked with them to try to get things uh, to come to resolution. So the, that meeting before the meeting was a great uh, tip and trick that I still use to this day. That's a good one. I like that one. Uh, it's a... Uh... It's it's it feels a little political, but at the same time, you can see how it, it can grease the skids for a more robust conversation and understanding everyone's agenda before they walk in the door. Absolutely. Michael, how do you feel that you support other upcoming rising CBOs or staff as a mentor? Is that something you try to do as well? Absolutely. I think that, um, you know, so many people, you know, and, I, and, I, and I, I mentioned one, but so many other people have invested in me and I've learned from so many other people. I think it's a responsibility and, and some of it's probably my time in student affairs. Um, but I really have the view that when I leave this job or this institution, I better have left it in a better spot than when I found it. And some of that means... Uh, people uh, as well. And so I really take a philosophy of challenge and support. Um, I think with uh, directors reporting to me, I work very hard in making sure they always feel that I've got their back, even if they make mistakes. And we're all human, so we all make mistakes. Uh, but they need to know that that mistake doesn't define them. It doesn't um, 
ruin their career. It doesn't define who their career is. It doesn't change the trajectory of their career. They can learn from that. And so making sure that I'm always supporting people, but also challenge them appropriately. How do they grow in their profession? How do they grow in the jobs that they do? How can they improve in the jobs they do? Um, all within a, a framework of understanding they're supported as they move through and, and make these changes that um, they're not going to take risks, appropriate risks, uh, and be successful if they don't have that support there. And so I, I work very diligently with people, have very candid conversations. Um, and sometimes those are not easy, but I've learned over the years uh, that those can candid conversations uh, benefit them and they actually end up being better because of it and they end up appreciating it uh, most of the time. Speaking of leaving, if you happen to be retiring tomorrow, which it sounds like you're not, but if you were forced into retirement tomorrow, what would you want your successor to know? Hands down that we've got some good people um, and that people make the organization. Um, it doesn't matter how good the tools are, how good the facilities are, how good the programs are. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, people make the difference. Um, and it, here at my institution, at least in our division, um, I'm sorry, I don't mean to exclude the other divisions at the university, but we've got some really good people, uh, both in leadership positions and some frontline everyday workers as well. People that do very good day in and day out. They take care of each other. Uh, when one of them has something going on in their family and, and maybe can't give as much at work, others step in and help them and vice versa. And it's nice to see that level of ebb and flow where people support each other and at the end of the day uh, are moving uh, the organization forward. Our students, when we look at our university, uh, the student profile of our university and the student profile of similar universities, our graduation rate is about 9, 10, 11% higher than what one would expect. And I think that comes directly from the people at the university, whether it's finance and operations working with students or finance and operations supporting people who work directly with the students. Sounds like a, gr a great place to be. I think it is. Well, thank you so much, Michael, for your time today and for sharing just a few of your insights and experiences with us. Thank you for the time, Megan. I appreciate it. You can find out more about Michael and today's episode by visiting the conferences and e-learning section, then click podcasts of nakubo.org. Make sure you also subscribe to CBO Speaks in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts so that you get the latest episodes instantly. And on behalf of Michael and myself, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of CBO Speaks. This episode of CBO Speaks is brought to you by Kaufman Hall. Learn about their strategic and financial consulting services and Axiom software for budgeting and planning by visiting kaufmanhall.com forward slash higher education. Mm -hmm.